Let us pray. Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can see that today's message title is, What If I Forgave Everyone? I came up with that idea for this message when I realized that uh, many of the things that many people consider impossible are really quite possible and quite doing if. That word is always there, isn't it? If. Kind of like the word but. The wages of sin is death. But. They're very doable, very possible, if we will simply apply the principles and promises of God's word. Now, if you're anything like me, many times you've probably heard yourself saying something like this. I'm just the way I am. This is how I've always been. There's nothing I can do about it. I can't change. I guess I'll always be this way. You ever think or say that to yourself? No one. Boo. I guess I'm preaching to myself this morning. Now, if I were talking about my height or uh, eye color or skin color, that might be true. It's not something a person can change. But virtually every other aspect of your existence is within your power to change, and even more so if you are truly living in and under the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you call yourself a Christ follower this morning, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He is what the inmates at Angola Prison call the resident president. He's the one who sits on the throne. He's the one who's in charge. So when I hear people say, and I'm including myself in this, that I'm just this way, I can't help but think, but what if you weren't that way? What if you were to let go of some of the unhealthy habits and let go of the bad attitudes that hold you back? I mean, what would life be like if you would just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and Scripture? Now, that's today's message. It's all about uh, exploring new possibilities. So we're going to ask this question and hopefully answer it. What if I would actually forgive everyone? And the more I study this section of Scripture, the more I realize the tendency that we have, and by we, I also mean myself, to harbor unforgiveness. Because you are human beings and your heart is beating and you are breathing this morning, I know that there are people here this morning who are harboring unforgiveness in their hearts towards someone. It may be a spouse. It may be children. It may be your neighbors. It may be some personality on television. I don't know who it is. But if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with forgiving and forgiving completely. See, many times we, we kind of kid ourselves into thinking that we have forgiven other people, but we haven't quite yet let it go. We like to kind of hang on to it sometime. And if you continue to hang on to an unforgiving spirit, it's going to create problems. I mean, even doctors and psychologists will tell you that you're, you're going to suffer from emotional torment. You're, you're always going to be bugged about somebody else. You're going to have bitterness in your heart. There's going to be moodiness. You're going to have sleeplessness. It even affects inner parts of your body. In fact, it has been said that harboring forgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemies. I mean, that's because when you hang on to an unforgiving attitude or spirit, it hurts you more than it hurts anyone else. 
Now, some people actually think that uh, refusing to forgive somebody else gives them leverage over that other person. That's kind of crazy when you think about it. Or sometimes they think, well, if I don't forgive that other person, that's just going to punish them more. But who is the one who really gets punished with an unforgiving spirit? It's the unforgiver. He or she is the one who continues to carry the weight of that offense. Way back in November of 1930, the Chicago Examiner reported the story of a man named Harry Havens. Uh, He went to bed and stayed there for seven years with a blindfold over his eyes, all because he got angry at his wife. Now, Henry Havens uh, had always tried to be a very good husband. After all, he worked around the house, he took care of the yard, he carried out the trash, he even helped with the dishes. But one day his wife complained that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing the right way, and he decided enough was enough. And he said, all right, if that's how you feel, I'm going to bed, I'm going to stay there for the rest of my life, and I don't want to see you ever again. Well, Harry went to bed. He blindfolded himself, stayed there. But he finally got up when the bed started feeling a little uncomfortable. Seven years later. The newspaper article or the headline was this. Man spites his wife by staying blindfolded in bed seven years. Now, maybe that little exile got on her nerves a little bit. I don't know. You'd probably get on my wife's nerves if I tried that. Uh, But who did Harry really punish in this? I mean, who is the bigger loser in this extended uh, temper tantrum? Well, it was Harry himself. I mean, just think, he lost seven years of his life. Seven years in the darkness. Seven years of no reading. Seven years of no sunrises or sunsets. Seven long, miserable years trying to settle a score that maybe he never, ever settled. Now, that just illustrates the foolishness, the utter foolishness of unforgiveness and how it ultimately hurts the unforgiver more than anyone else. Now, I've seen this happen in my 50-plus years of ministry uh, more than once. A person hangs on to some resentment. I mean, somebody didn't say hello one morning in the hallway coming into church, and it just bugs them, and they hang on to that. And every time they look at that other church member, they're just going, that was that rude person who didn't say good morning to me. Now, you didn't really care whether they saw you or not, or maybe they didn't have their hearing aids or not, but you were just bugged about it. And by golly, you were going to hang on to that. Now, what happens is it keeps you awake at night. It destroys your good mood. Meanwhile, the person they can't forgive, what do they do? They just go happily on their way. It does no good to hang on to that unforgiving spirit. You you might as well drink the poison yourself. However, you're willing to put the principles that you find in God's word of forgiveness into practice, you're going to create a far better life for yourself. Now, here's the very first way. You're going to experience peace. Experience peace. That unsettled sense of resentment and um, discontentment will disappear and be replaced by a sense of of overwhelming peace. Corey Tenboom said, Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and to realize that the prisoner is you. In Colossians 3.13, you see these passages on the screen, Paul says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have 
against one another. And then he goes on in verse 15 and says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to what? Peace. Peace. See, there's a connection between forgiveness and peace. See, if there's no peace in your personal life, if there's no peace in your marriage or in your family or in your place of business or in your church, it may be because you're hanging on to past hurts somehow and refusing to let go of yesterday's offenses. So if you want to learn, have peace reign in your heart, you've got to learn to forgive. Now, here's the second thing. You'll find it easier then to forgive yourself. See, if you are a forgiving person and you're willing to extend mercy to other people, it's going to be easier to extend mercy to yourself. Now, several years ago, in a former church I was pastoring, I talked to a person who, quite honestly, just could not give it up. I mean, he, he could not let himself off the hook for anything. And, and every day, all he ever thought about was, why did I do this? Why did I do that? If I, if I only hadn't made that mistake, if only I was different. And, and he just plain simple refused to be happy. Uh, because of some of the past mistakes. And, and the more we talked about it, it became obvious that he just plain simple never let go of anything in his life. Talking to him over a period of time, he remembered every failed expectation of people who were around him. He was angry at his mom and dad for, for, for not being perfect parents. He was angry with his brothers and sisters over typical little brother and sister friction. I mean, if you all got a brother or sister, you know they're, they're heavenly sandpaper. Now, they're going to rub you the wrong way sooner or later. He was angry with his boss because the boss didn't follow through with the promise. And he just can't hang it on to every little hurt like it was some sort of a, a hidden little treasure. And I finally said, did you ever stop to think about forgiving yourself? Because, see, he couldn't forgive anyone. Grace did not exist in this man's vocabulary or in his life. But after enough number of meetings with him and enough Bible verses and all kinds of other stuff and actually turning him over to our Lutheran Child and Family Services counselor, here's what he discovered. When he began to let other people off the hook, he began to let himself off the hook as well. When he began to give other people a clean slate and a fresh start, he began to experience that fresh start in his life as well. So, friends, I don't know what you struggle with, but if you're struggling with guilt or you're struggling with regret, then maybe you should kind of check your attitude. Check your attitude towards all the other people who are around you and toward the people from your past. I mean, have you forgiven people who truly need to be forgiven? What I often like to say is this, build a bridge and just get over it. That brings me to the third benefit, and that's that you will experience the fulfillment, fullness of forgiveness yourself. See, sometimes Jesus said some things in the Bible that were so straightforward and so simple that it only leaves you with two choices. You either take God's word exactly as he said them, or you can spend about a half an hour or an hour talking in theological circles, you know, to try to explain why Jesus didn't really mean what he said there. Now, there's a good example of it. You'll see it in Luke 6:37. 
where Jesus says, as plain as day, look at this next verse, forgive and you will be forgiven. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And he also says in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or if you'd like the literal translation, Lord, forgive us in the same manner in which we forgive other people. That's a pretty dangerous prayer, isn't it? Lord, forgive me just like I forgave my brother and sister, which I didn't do because they deserved it. See, when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you begin that journey of the Christian life. Your sins are forgiven. And that's because you're surrounded completely by the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And as you continue to walk in His forgiveness, God expects you to walk in forgiveness towards other people as well. But here's the downside. If you refuse to walk in forgiveness with people... It's going to block the flow of forgiveness toward you. See, Jesus stated it very clearly. Forgive. Uh, forgive in the same manner in which we forgive other people. Think about that later as we pray the Lord's Prayer. See, this is kind of the principle of reciprocity. You, you receive back what you give. See, that's why generous people always seem to have enough to get by and and, and often have more than enough. It's why people who are loving tend to be surrounded by other loving people. That's why people who are merciful to others find themselves on the receiving end of, of mercy as well. That shouldn't surprise you. I mean, Jesus was pretty clear on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? Mercy. See, friends, when you hang on to forgive unforgiveness, you're not just drinking poison in your relationships, your personal relationships. You're drinking poison in your spiritual life. You're cutting yourself off from a right standing with God and away from a life of blessing and a life of peace and a life of power. And see, conversely, when you live by the principle of forgiveness, to forgive even as Christ has forgiven you, you open up a big door for everything that God desires to give you. Now, the big question is, how do I do it? I mean, how do I actually forgive? Now, you and I both know that's a whole lot easier said than done, because we tend to hang on to offenses for a long time. And the sad truth is that we tend to hang on to small offenses while asking God to ignore our own big offenses. Those of you who are familiar with God's Word probably know this story pretty well. There's a, there was a king um, who decided to settle his, his accounts one day. He discovered one of his servants had stolen the equivalent modern-day money, several million dollars. Now, the man couldn't pay it back, so what did the king do? Well, the king ordered that everything this man owned, including his wife and children, be sold so that at least a portion of that several million dollar debt could be repaid. Now, that man begged for mercy. He said, if you will be patient with me, I will pay everything back. And so the king in this story that Jesus told did something that is just completely unexpected. He cancels that multi-million dollar debt and sets the man free. Now, I've never owned anybody, owed anybody several million dollars. 
But could you imagine how you would feel if you'd run up that kind of debt and somebody says, don't worry about it. You don't need to pay it back. I, man, what a weight off of your shoulders that would be. Now, we know in that parable, Jesus tells it later on, this same man, this servant came across a guy who owed him a few bucks. I mean, actually, the Bible says it was a small amount of money, about three months wages. But he demanded to have that money back. And the man begged him for more time, but this servant wouldn't allow it. And so he threw that man and his family into debtor's prison. Well, perhaps as you read that story in Matthew 18, a little bit few verses further in our text today, when that got back to the king, the king was pretty mad. He called him in and he said, you wicked servant, I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then he ordered that servant who had not to back into prison until he had paid back every penny of that multi-million dollar debt. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and he says something again that's really very startling. You see it in Matthew 18:35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. See, I think the moral of that story is that uh, God takes forgiveness very seriously. If you want to live the Christian life, if you're going to count yourself as being a Christ follower and experience the benefits of what the Christian life is all about and walk in the sweetness of God's fellowship and enjoy his unlimited mercy and compassion and forgiveness, he's just saying, friend, you need to learn to model my son in how he showed compassion and forgiveness to others. Some of the last words Jesus said hanging on the cross was what? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When the first Christian martyr, Stephen, as he was being stoned to death, says basically the same thing. Don't hold it against these people. Father, forgive them. So in applying this principle of forgiveness, let me share a few things with you. First of all, you need to forgive as God has forgiven you. It's just like Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now let me ask, how has God forgiven you? Now lest you forget, we've already been through that today, have we not? I'm always kind of wondering, this is, this is kind of an aside, but when, when you pause, what does it say in the, in the uh, bulletin, uh, we got to confession. Silence for reflection on God's word and self-examination. I often wonder what's going on in my own mind, let alone everybody else's. Everybody's just kind of standing there saying, I wonder how long he's going to be quiet. <laughs> Nobody else seems to be self-examining. Ah, unforgiving spirit, huh? Gotcha. Well, I'll confess to having done that more than once. Like, I wonder how long I should just stay here and just let him hang. I, I, I apologize for that. But how has God forgiven you? I mean, Jeremiah 31, verse 34 says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And then in Isaiah 38, 17, he said, You have put my, all my sins behind your back. Now, if something goes behind your back, you can't see them anymore. 
And that's kind of the metaphor that Isaiah is using. God forgives totally and completely. He never revisits your sins again. They say, God buries your sins in the depths of the ocean, and then he puts up a no fishing sign. Reminds me of a woman who told her pastor one time that God spoke to her all the time, personally. And then he told her everything she wanted to know. Well, the pastor said, well, is that that so? I'm going to put you to the test. I committed a pretty ugly sin when I was a teenager. Ask God to tell you what that sin was, and maybe I'll believe you. When she came back the next day and the pastor said, did you ask God about my sin? And the woman said, yes, pastor, but I must have been wrong about hearing the voice of God because I asked what sin you committed and God said, I don't remember. The pastor said, then yes, you are truly hearing the voice of God. Now, that's just a story, and it's kind of full of a bunch of theological holes, but it makes a point. God forgives, and then God forgets. He doesn't remember your sins, and in the same way, you need to be willing to forget the sins of others. Now, we know as humans, that's kind of hard to do. It takes effort, but forgiving and forgetting is an intentional choice that you make. Clara Barton, who is the founder of the Red Cross, was confronted one time uh, with the memory of a betrayal that she had experienced a few years before. But she acted like she'd never heard about it. And a friend said, Clara, don't you remember what that person did to you? And Clara said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. (laughs) So you understand that when you forgive someone, the objective is to let it go. The objective is never to bring it up again. Because that's how God in Christ treats you. Here's the second thing to remember. You forgive only those you need to forgive. How have you ever thought about that? As a pastor, I've met a lot of people who struggle with unforgiveness over things that really aren't any of their business. They got their nose in everybody else's business and they want to hold it over these people too. And nobody did anything to them. See, another way of saying this is this. When someone else commits a sin that does not involve you, it's not up to you to forgive them. Keep your nose out of other people's business. Is that pretty clear? (laughs) You can pray for their restoration, and you should. You can pray for those who've been hurt and whatever happened out there. You can pray that God will do what he needs to do between those other parties. What you can't do is just kind of perch yourself on the throne and decide who gets forgiveness and who does not get forgiveness. I'm amazed sometimes, look at my Facebook feeds, and see the, the utter unforgiveness people have in their hearts towards political people who have not really done anything to them personally, but by golly, they're going to sit in judgment. Or on coaches who don't run the ball when they should run the ball instead of pass the dumb thing. See, it applies to people here in this church. I mean, let's bring it right home to Nixa. Can we do that? I don't need to come back. I can say whatever I want, can't I, Mr. Elder? No, I, I'd say it even if I was the pastor of your church. It applies, it applies in the church as well. It applies with the people you work with. I mean, if there are two people in conflict and you're not directly involved in the problem, it's not your job to sit in judgment. Jesus makes it very clear, Matthew 18, 50, if somebody sins against who? You. (laughs) If it's a sin against you, then you need to deal with that offense and deal with forgiving them. But if someone gets caught up in a sin that doesn't involve you, then pray for that person. 
Pray for those people involved in that situation. Pray that there will be a period of restoration. And pray that God will work out that situation according to the way that God wants it worked out. But don't presume to be a forgiver in a situation that doesn't involve you. Because you're going to find yourself struggling with that resentment and you're going to give in to that temptation to be self-righteous and smug. And it's all because you tried to put yourself in a position where you do not belong. See, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, you need to ask yourself a few questions. Does this situation involve me? Do I need to forgive or do I just instead need to pray for those people who are involved so that they can forgive one another as God would have them do? Now, here's the third one uh, as you work on forgiveness, and that is to forgive people face to face. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, show him his fault just between the two of you. That's Matthew 18, 15 from our text. See, the, most, the, 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 the truth is that most people who are having conflict with someone else never bother to take that step. They talk to other people. They go to their friends and they just rat on that other person and badmouth that other person to somebody else. And that person, what do they do? They turn around and they sit in judgment on the whole thing. they got a whole big mess. They don't talk to each other. You know, I'm just mad at that person. And the anger and the bitterness and the resentment grows because they refuse to deal with the situation one-on-one. I always remember somebody came to my office a number of years ago and said, Pastor, I just got to tell you, there's this person in my life who just blah, 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 and I'm just having a hard time forgiving. And I said, um, now what's his phone number? Because we'll call him up. We'll talk to him right now. They didn't want to do it. I said, I don't want to hear any more about it. Don't include me in your mess. I'm going to refer you back to Matthew 18. If you've got a problem with somebody else, you go deal with it. Do not drag me in. I am not your hitman. I'm your pastor. Now, Jesus said that if talking one-on-one doesn't work, of course, you take it the next step. You take a couple of other people with you. And if it still doesn't work, he says, take it to the church. Matthew 18 gives you very specific steps with how to deal with somebody that you have a problem with. Now, I've been a pastor over 32 years of my 50 years in ministry. And most of the time when people meet face to face and discuss the matter one to one in a Christian manner, that conflict gets resolved and the relationship gets renewed and it gets strengthened. And most of the time, and I think my estimate would be way above 90%, if people would just do step one, steps two and three would never, ever have to be used. See, there's power in having the courage to sit down and say to someone, can we resolve this? In my experience, this step is all that we need in order to start the process of forgiveness and reconciliation. So my friends, kind of in conclusion, what if you were to do this? What if you were to let go of the unforgiveness that so many people hang on to? What if you were to treat other people exactly as Jesus treats you, with mercy and compassion and forgiveness? What if you were to pray for the reconciliation rather than standing in judgment? What if you were to meet face-to-face with those people with whom you have conflict and seek resolution? What if you forgave everybody who ever offended you in the past and you just simply let go of all other resentments? Can you see how that might change your life? 
Can you see how it would make for better relationships among family members and workplaces and churches and whatever? To bring more peace into your life and, and how it would open the door for God's abundant blessings? But I'll suggest to you that the only way we can do this effectively is if we ourselves are holy. That means set apart. means different. I've been called a lot of names in my life. And one of my I actually kind of like being called every once in a while is a Jesus freak. I've actually been told, man, you are one weird dude. You keep dragging the Bible into everything. What else am I supposed to do? See, if we're right with God, if we understand his word and we walk with him in an upright way, life is just so much more weird and fun and peaceful and happy. And it's only then that we can approach every situation greatly, gently with a heart full of love and a mindset on restoration. I pray that we all continue to learn how to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we gather our offerings, we'll be singing our next hymn, a gift to you, or not, maybe it's a hymn, maybe it's a special music, a gift to you.